find it, guys. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13 through 17. If you could stand for the reading of the word. We're starting a new sermon series. You guys ready for the word today? We are super excited. Thanks to Pastor Ernie who started a new new members class this morning and course this morning and being faithful and, and going on. Uh, we had a few things that, that weren't, weren't the norm uh, this morning, but he adjusted and he did just fine. Guys, don't forget next week, if you can make it at 9 a.m., we will be starting our men's course and it's going to be in the book Kingdom Man. Uh, Kingdom Man. So if you'll go on Amazon or wherever you shop or Barnes and Nobles and grab that. Uh, there is a word from the Lord today. You guys are ready? Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13 through 17. You know our customs, if it's your first time online or your first time in the building, you're here now so your family and we welcome you. Can you give them a big hallelujah and clap your hands and, and, and welcome them today? As is our custom, we read the word aloud. Faith cometh by what? Hearing, and hearing the word of God. Uh, so let's read together. It reads as such. Ready and read. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said to him, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. From this scripture and other related scriptures, I want to speak to you on this topic this morning, undisputed, undisputed. You may be seated in the presence of God. Speak your servants, listen, and we'll be careful to give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Guys, can you pull up the sermon slide on the screen for the series? We're in a new series, and I want you to see it. Uh, words or pictures. What are we talking about for the next few weeks? The what? Authentic church. We're talking about the authentic church. Why is it important for us to know what's authentic? In today's world, we need to know what's authentic because there are so many things that are not real. There are so many things that are fake. As a matter of fact, I'm a technology guy. We use artificial intelligence even in our ministry and things that we use. But now it's possible to even take your voice and take your face and, and, and take your likeness and your image and to be able to use a computer to create you having a complete and total conversation that you never had. To put you into places that you've never been. <laughs> to help you say things that you've never said and do things that you've never done. We are in a world where we really don't understand anymore because truth has been so diluted. What is really true? We hear one thing and then we see another. And, and all the time we're asking ourselves, what is true? And I wish it would be, uh, be that we only saw that in the world. But unfortunately, sometimes we see that in the church. <laughs> 
We come to the church and this person says that and that person says that. And you have people doing all sorts of things in the church that does not look like church. And you wonder to yourself, is this the real church? Is this where I'm going? There are people all over that have given God a try but left God because they said the church didn't work for me. And it wasn't because God didn't work for you. It's because that organization didn't work for you. But that organization was not the church. There's a definition of the word authentic as I was beginning to pray. God gave me this definition and I was talking to someone in the conversation. I said, Lord, how do you want me to start the year? And he said, I want you to talk about the authentic church. Everybody say authentic church. I, I was going over this, and when I looked up the word authentic, it almost made me say, all I have to do, Lord, is read the definition, go sit down, open up the altar call, and take my seat. Because when I opened it up, it said these words. When I looked at authentic, it said of undisputed origin. I'll say that again, of undisputed origin. Say that with me. Of undisputed origin. What does that mean? That means that when you look at it, you cannot deny where it has come from. I have three perfect examples of that in this church. I call them Haley, Mia, and Anna. Uh, even if you did not know that Anna was my daughter, you need not stand beside her but two or three minutes and you'll realize that she belongs to me. <laughs> Although she has feminine characteristics and is prettier than I would be, you can look at her for a second and you can look at her build and you can look at her disposition and you can tell and look into her face and tell that she belongs to Willie Berry. <laughs> as, as a matter of fact, Kathy calls her Little Willie. <laughs> That's what she calls her. Why is that? Because when you look and you are produced from something or someone, their likeness is on you, and you have an identity, but your identity is wrapped up in there. Which means that when you see, when you see Anna, you see me, and when you see me, you see Anna because our DNAs are inextricably connected. What's in her comes from me, and she is an authentic berry. She didn't come from the knockoff store. She's not a generic. She's a berry from the top head to the sole of her feet. You can tell just by her characteristics. As a matter of fact, I was looking and talking to my wife in the kitchen. I said, come here. Look at this. And Anna was, she was reading something and laying on the ground. And she was even laying like me without me even telling her. And she was doing things that I would do. That, and it was just not something that was forced. You've seen your kids do things like that. Why? Because they are coming from you and they are like you. They are authentic and of undisputed origin. And what God wants us to know today is that there, although there are many imposters out there today, although there are many doctrines, although there are many things out there that label themselves church, you will know his church <laughs> because his church looks like him. His church doesn't look like the club. His church doesn't look like a social gathering. His church looks like him. And in this, Jesus is telling us that he's going to build a church. When we come into the text this morning, Jesus is walking along with his disciples. And here's the thing. You have to know that in order to know if something's original, you have to know the identity of the thing from which it came. And before Jesus ever starts to talk to them about the church, he starts to talk to them about how do you see me? 
Because if you do not see me correctly, you will not see my church correctly. You have to know who I am. And Jesus, not because he's narcissistic, not because he cares what people think. He looks at his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? He's trying to get their, their thought bubbles going and get them into a brainstorm. And they begin to give him different people because they knew the scriptures. And they say, some say you are John the Baptist coming back from the dead. Some say you are Elijah. Some say that you are a great prophet. Why? Because the scriptures had foretold of great prophets that would come. And they thought that Jesus was a prophet. And, and, and he says, all these people, they say that you are. And Jesus says, that's all fine and good that they say I'm Elijah. That's all fine and good that they say I'm John the Baptist. That's all fine and good that they say I might be Jeremiah. But I've got a better question for you. I'm not worried about what they say. I'm going to look at my church and say, who do you say that I am? Because if anybody ought to know the identity of Jesus, it ought to be the church. But in today's world of things that are artificial, all you need to do is pull up social media and you can pull up a good sermon or two or see a good New Year's Eve party or two and you'll realize that everybody that calls themselves a church is not a church. And there are people that don't get the benefit of being the church and they don't get the power of being the church. Jesus wants them to know, he says, who do you say that I am? Simon answers. I like Simon because whether or not he has a good answer, Simon's always the first to speak. Sometimes he has what's called hand, foot, and mouth disease. It, whichever one he has, he'll put in his mouth at the current moment. And he speaks up without even thinking about it. And I like this because you can trust the Peter. Why? Because Peter's not going to tell you what's politically correct. T Peter's going to tell you who he is, and he's going to speak from his heart. And, and, but this is what, what others did. They were pontificating. Well, some say you're this, and some say you're that. Notice when he asked, who do you say I am? They didn't say a word. Only Peter spoke up and said, I believe that you are the Christ, that you are the son of the living God. I don't think that you're just a good man. I don't think that you're just a prophet. I don't think that, that, that you're just a good rabbi and a good teacher or a good pastor or a teacher. I believe that you came from God, that you have his DNA, and that your origin is undisputed. You are authentic and of undisputed origin because if you're going to come to Christ, you must realize the first thing that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, that he came and dwelt among men and he died to save our sins and Peter says that you are the son of the living God and Jesus looks at Peter and he knows the stupid stuff that comes out of Peter's mouth and he says you didn't get that from yourself. That doesn't sound like you, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. I know a Peter answer, and that is not a Peter answer. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. And I want you to know this because this is why I raised the conversation, because I have a project that has been going on for millennia. I have a bride that I am preparing, and it is called the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, if we read it in English, we would think that he is talking about what we call church today. You think that Jesus was going to build a big 
assembly that seats 10 to 15,000 people or an amphitheater like the Roman Colosseum so he could get a bunch of people in and get a bunch of offerings and, and, and do things like that and to have the best praise team and the best music. That's what he's going to do. That's what we would think he would do. We think that he'd have the best lights and the best program and the youngest and the hippest people at the doors welcoming people and doing things and putting all the happening and cool dressed people on the website. But this is the problem. Jesus is not talking about an organization. Jesus is talking about a living, breathing organism. He says, upon your confession that I am the Christ, I will build my church. In order to understand what Jesus is saying, you have to understand that he says it in another language. And this is the language that it is written in the Bible. It's written in Greek. Everybody say, ecclesia. Some people would say that ecclesia just depends on where you are. Upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And what does ecclesia mean? It means the called out assembly. It means that I am calling people out. I am many are called, but few are chosen. And I am making a call out assembly. And also you have to know about this term. It is not just a regular term. In other languages, they have genders and terms and certain things that go with certain things. You have a female gender and a male gender when you speak French or you speak Spanish and all these things. But in this term, this is a type of term. It is a governmental term. In other words, it's something that you would use when you're talking about a governmental entity and what Jesus is saying is I am establishing a kingdom an invisible kingdom that cannot be seen with hands because it does not rest in the four walls of a church building it does not rest in four walls of a nice nice shopping mall with pretty praise teams and all those things but my kingdom lives in the hearts of men and women and you cannot contain my kingdom You can shut the doors of this church for a pandemic, but you will never shut the doors of God's kingdom because wherever you go, the church goes with you. Upon this rock, I build my church. And this is something that I like that he said. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, sometimes we'll make a gate to keep animals in, but most times when you're talking about a gate, when you build gates around your house, it's not to keep people in. It's to keep people out. (laughs) And Jesus says, hell has some gates. And what I've come to tell you is it's time out for sheepish, lackadaisical, passive Christians that just wait for people to come to Christ. God says that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. In other words, hell has gates to to, to keep people out, but Jesus is saying, I'm coming and I'm kicking the door to hell down and I'm taking anybody with me who wants to go and I'm going to call my called out assembly to go into the hills and the highway and the hedges and compel men to come and those that were on their way to heaven, I'm going to have them come and say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God is calling you to be an army. God is not calling you to be a multi-global corporation. God is calling you to be something that's much more powerful. God is calling you to be a soldier that helps go and kick down the gates of hell and find the captives where the Bible says he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men that those who are on their way to hell, that hell will have to let them 
go with the power of the gospel. That's why many people leave churches. They don't leave church. They leave placebos. Everybody say placebo. If you've ever had medicine, you know what a placebo is. Sometimes when they're doing medical testing, they will do a placebo to see if something works. They'll give you three pills, and one of them will be salt or water or sugar. And they're giving you two pills that should affect you, but they don't tell you which one it is so they can find out if it really works. Because science says it must be measurable, attainable, and uh, uh, measurable, observable, and repeatable. And they'll give you this placebo just to see who actually reacts to what and what is really real. And the placebo looks like the real thing. It tastes like the real thing, but it's full of something that has no substance and no ability to change. And I've come to tell you in 2024 that God is tired of churches that look like the real thing and act like the real thing and sound like the real thing. God wants churches that have substance and have the power of the Holy Spirit and have the gospel preached on the inside that people can change. In 2024, God is going to expose a lot of things. He's going to begin to show certain things where they look like churches and they act like churches, but they're beginning to show their hand that they're more concerned about the number of people that they have on Sunday morning than the number of people that they have going to heaven. But I've come to tell you, if you never come to this church again, this place is concerned about your soul. This place is concerned about where you will spend eternity. This place is concerned about how you live your life on earth to glorify God. This church is concerned about lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the authentic church is built on Christ. Repeat after me. The authentic church is built on Christ. See, you can build an organization on anything. You can go start a church tomorrow and you can get your target, target market and your target demographic and these are the people we want to reach. All that stuff is fine and good. <laughs> but many times while we're planning new churches, we never ask God, where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to reach? Who do you want us to preach to? And we cater our sermons sometimes to fit certain types of people. I tend not to do that. I've learned that you'll be schizophrenic doing that, trying to preach sermons that you think people want to hear. I just preach the gospel. Some people might like somebody that's a little bit quieter than I am. Sometimes on Sundays you may get me quiet, but today you won't. And I don't care. What I am doing is giving the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way that he gave it to me and those that he has assigned to me. He will send to me those that he is assigned to other pastors. He will send to other pastors. It's time for us to stop trying to, to make the combination locks and find the right combination to get people in and just do what Jesus said. He said, if I be lifted up, I would draw all men unto me. We should stop asking ourselves so much what our community wants and ask what God wants. And when we begin to do what God wants, he'll send people to the places that are doing what he wants done. Hallelujah. Jesus is not speaking about a building for a while. He's speaking about an organism, a living, breathing, breathing thing. So I have to ask you this question this morning. 
for churches, and this is not our church, but I just got to ask the question. I'm not picking at anybody's church, but if you're in a church and, and you can't remember the last time you heard somebody preaching about Jesus and you can't remember the last time you heard about somebody preaching about salvation, you can't remember about the last time you heard anything besides self-help and positive thinking, I have to ask you this question. If Christ is not the center, is it indeed a church at all? If they are not centered on Jesus, what foundation would you be centered upon? That line of questioning presses needs and, and needs to go deep down. As I know, the church is not brick and mortar, but it is word and spirit. And before we get on our high horses and start to talk about other buildings and other congregations of people, I need to go ahead and tell you I'm not talking about the buildings at all. Pull up 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16. I want you to read it on the screen. I want you to, li- I want you to hear that today because here's the thought process. What does it say? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You are the church. So I ask that question again. If Christ isn't the center of your life, are you a church at all? If your main focus is to get up and make money and get your kids in a good school and live life and have kids and house and a picket fence, if your main goal is to make sure your 401k is stocked and your pension works well and, and Christ is just something you do when you get the chance, are you a church at all? If our main focus is to get everything we want and everything we desire, and Christ's main concern is the loss, and we never invite anybody to church but people we know, and we haven't tried to lead people to Christ in 30 years. Are we a church at all? Because if you love somebody, you'll learn to love what they love. My wife wanted to go to a restaurant last night. I absolutely hate that restaurant. I did not want to go to that restaurant. She says, where are we going? I said, we're going to the restaurant. I took her to the restaurant, and I, I, I just wanted to let her eat what she wanted uh, because that's what she wanted. Uh, because if you love somebody, you love what you love. And I wasn't going to eat anything to her, hon. I was actually over by your studio. I wasn't going to eat apple, and I wasn't going to eat, eat, eat anything. And she said, but it doesn't make me happy if you don't eat. And although I didn't like any of the food, I ordered something in anyway, and I ate it and I forced it down. Why? Because I wanted her to have an enjoyable experience, and when you love somebody, even when you don't like something, you learn to love what they love. What's important to them becomes important to you. There's nothing more important in life. Leave them alone, Phyllis. What's more important in life? <laughs> what? I was just playing. Oh, y'all are funny. But what's more important in life <laughs> is to love what they love. So what does Jesus love? Somebody said Jimmy John's. Jesus might like Jimmy John's. <laughs> but we know it's one of the most popular verses in the Bible for God to love the So if we're not concerned about the loss, do we really love what he loves? If we walk past people who don't know Jesus and we never say a word, 
do we really love? But he loves us. See, Satan has made us think that if we show up here on Sunday morning in this building, we can negate our responsibility to share the gospel. We can negate our responsibility to do what he's called us to do. We think that programs are going to fill the building. We think that pastors and dynamic speakers are going to fill the building. We think that excellent musicians and praise teams are going to fill the building. It may fill the building, but it's not going to fill the church. Because only the gospel will fill the church. And for too long, we have mistaken full buildings for real church. We have mistaken great speakers for good pastors. Somebody say, I am part of the church. church. Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? That's what the old King James said. And it's interesting that there are many things that we will not say or do inside of the church building. When I was young, you couldn't wear a hat in church. Men couldn't wear a hat. My spiritual father to this day, if Dr. Miller walks in the church and he has a hat on, he'll take it off. You remember when, when you were in the church and, and, and you were young and you bumped your music past Ernie and, and you go by and you were driving by the church, what would you do? You would take it and you would turn your music down. Because you say, I'm at church and I, I have to respect God. And when you went in, the, went in there and somebody stepped on your shoe, if you were at the club, you might cuss them out. Because you're at church, you say, oh, God bless you. <laughs> because there's certain things that you don't say at church. When, when, you, when you're in the building and your spouse says something that gets on your nerve, you, you just smile and say, oh, that's so cute. But you won't say what you really want to because you are at church. And there's certain things that we've trained ourselves that we don't say at church and we don't do at church. Everybody say at church. But here's the problem with that. If the Holy Spirit is living with you, you are always in church because the church is in you. So if you can't say it in the building, if you can't listen to it in the building, if you can't do it in the building, you can't do it outside because the church is with you everywhere you go. If it's not proper to say at the altar, it's not proper to say at the grocery store. If it's not proper to say during worship, it may not be proper to say it during altar call because you can't get away from the church if you belong to God because the church is not a building. Your body is the building that houses the Holy Ghost. The church is in you. You are the church and God is coming back. He tells in Ephesians, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. And he says this, that he gave his life for that church. Why did he do it? He said that he may come back and adorn her as a bride without spot or wrinkle. I ask you a question today. Are you pure before your husband? If Christ came back for you today, I know, I know your sins are cleansed because we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. If you accept Jesus, then, then guess what? You are already saved. But here's the question. 
do you have your hair done yet? No bride wants to be seen before the hair is done and the makeup's done. If Jesus knocked on the door of your heart right now, you know how we do. Everybody try to keep the front room and the living room clean. They keep the rooms clean where everybody's going to go. But, oh, if we could see your closet. <laughs> oh, if we could just look a little bit around in that back room, you won't let nobody go in. <laughs> or that laundry room. And when you're showing people your house, that it's that door that you, you bring them to. Hey, look at this room and this one. Oh, we're not going to go in there. That's the boys' room. We're going to go in here. That's the, that's the girl. Everybody has, though. Now, let's talk about you as a house for the Holy Ghost. How many times are we doing that saying, Jesus, you can have this, but you can't have that. You can't go in there. Jesus, you can come in and save my life because I need somebody to help me not be stressed. I give you my mind, but I won't give you my money. I give you my mind, but I won't give you my bad habits. I won't give you my mind, but I won't give you my lust. I'll give you my mind, but I won't give you my unforgiveness. I'll give you some of my mind, but I won't give you my hatred. I'll give you some of my mind, but I won't give you my unforgiveness. I'll give you what I want you to have, but some doors will remain closed. I've come to tell you that if God can't have all of you, he won't have any of Salvation is not a contractual agreement where you get to add addendums of what you give and what you don't. Salvation is a contract that's already been signed with the blood of Christ. And the only thing that you can get to receive it is your unconditional surrender. Every part of you, every part of your mind, every part of your heart. It may take longer for some than others, but it is a constant process of surrender that I wish to be the bride and the church that makes God proud somebody say I am the church <laughs> I wonder if we spent as much time in the church as they do on social media trying to talk about viral moments and the internet breaking and all the internet gossip if we did that in, in the church if we spent as much time focusing on our lives and what we were to do as the church how the world would be we say if that church was healthy, it would have people in it. <clears throat> well, you the church, so if you're healthy, where are the people coming with you? You can't say amen. There was a deacon when I grew up. His name was John Henry Reedus. I never forgot John Henry Reedus. He was not a perfect man, but we used to have these two weeks uh, back, uh, back where I grew up, and one was called a fellowship week where people came. It was like a prayer meeting. People had the prayer meeting, and the next week, people would come for revival, and people would get saved, and i never forget this. Mr. John Henry was by in no means perfect. He had his issues, but every year, Mr. John Henry had a station wagon, and I can remember as a child, I don't know where he got them from, where they came from, but all all these different children would end up in his uh, in his station wagon, basically hanging out the back of it. He'd bring tons of them, and every year, whether nobody else came, we always had people to go to the pond or to the cement block uh, baptismal and baptize. You know why? Because Mr. John Hendry didn't come to church by himself. He was the church. That's what I want to tell you. You don't have to be perfect to be the If I am Christ representative, what does the world see? 
Isn't it interesting that there are many things that we will not say or do inside this building? However, when we leave the building, we feel perfectly fine doing them. Why? Because we don't yet realize that the church goes with us everywhere. We are the church. And so if I am Christ's representative on the earth, I have one question. Everybody ask this question. I'm going to ask it of myself, and I want you to ask it of yourself with me. Repeat after me. What do they see when they look at me? When they see me, do they see Jesus? When they see how I treat Robin, do they see Jesus? What do my kids see when they look at me? That's a tough question. What do my coworkers see when they look at me? Do they see me <coughs> with everybody else hanging out and jonesing and telling dirty jokes or, or always knocking the boss? Do they see me at the coffee shop talking politics and always downing people who I've never met? Or do they see Do they look at me and say that that church is authentic? It is of undisputed origin that that person has been with Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Because I want to tell you this. These are my first two points. I preached them out to you, but I want you to say them with me. The authentic church is built on Christ. The next part that I want you to remember is number two. Say, I am part of the church. And this is why I'm telling you this. It's for our third and final point of the day. Everybody repeat after me. The world needs the authentic church. We live in a world where people are telling our kids they can be whatever they want to be, whether science says they can or not. They're confused. They don't know what's real anymore. Not just our kids, but our millennials, people my age and our adults. We, don't ever, we look at stuff, and we don't ever know what we're really looking at. Everything is false, and it creates fear. False evidence appearing real. The world needs something real, and they need a real church. They don't need a big box model. I'm not against large churches, but they need a real church. I'm not talking about what we do here on Sunday morning. I'm talking about what you do when you leave here and where you go on Monday. Does the world see the real church in you? Does that person who's suffering with their identity or those persons that are suffering with lust, do they see compassion? Do they see Jesus like he was with the woman uh, well, that was caught in adultery saying, I don't condemn your, them your sin, but I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't agree with what you did, and I hope you don't do it, but I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here. You ever notice something? They threw her down. So the only way Jesus could talk to her most times is to reach down and pick her. He caught a woman that had no clothes in adultery. They brought him, brought her to Jesus and threw her at his feet. 
He had her dead to rights. Everything they said she had done, she had done. She was guilty. She deserved condemnation. She deserved all those things. But what kind of church did they find? They found a Christ-centered church. And that Christ-centered church looked around at all the other self-righteous congregation and said, He that was without sin, I want you to pick up the first stone. I came to call men to repentance, not, not to stone them. There's a time when I will come back, and I'm coming back for judgment, and I will judge the living and the dead. But in this dispensation, in this hour, I'm coming to seek and save those which were lost. And he reached down to it and says, where are your accusers? I don't agree with what you did. Don't sin anymore, but I don't condemn you. Where is that church today that can look at those people who are struggling with their gender? Where is that church today that can look at those people who are struggling with their sexuality. Where are those people today that can look at people who are struggling with pornography and other addictions and not look down their nose at them and say, I may not agree with what you're doing, but Jesus died for you. I, I don't condemn you. I have a solution. It's called the gospel. I don't throw stones at you because there are many that can be thrown at me. <coughs> the Bible says that if a brother is caught in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore those brothers with a spirit of meekness. And then he says, considering yourself, think about yourself, lest you also should fall. Wherever you find them, I haven't said this in a while, but I guess somebody needs to hear. Somebody said, the mercy you give may be the mercy you need. God is looking for a church that comes back and stands on righteousness and truth, but gives it with love and compassion and justice. The Bible says in John that Jesus was full of grace and truth. They can coexist. They can coexist. I can give you grace and still stand on what I believe so that you know that there is a way to come. But many people are lost because the church has compromised its message and told people what they want to hear in order to get the people in the door. And then you try to change the message when they get in the door. No, the message stays the same. The message is not predicated on whether I'm good enough. It's predicated on whether God is good enough. And he is. And we stand on the unadulterated word of God. And when you come into this church, you can find grace. You can find love. But you can also find truth. The world needs the authentic church. Say that with me one more time. The world needs the authentic church. Pull up Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 through 16. We have to destroy the old model of modern day evangelicalism where we expect pastors to be the church and we expect one man to do everything. We expect one person to do everything. We have to read what Jesus says. He doesn't say the pastor is. He doesn't say the bishop is. He doesn't even say the deacons is. What does he say? He says what? You so who is he talking to? He says, what? Somebody said it right. He said, me. That's the word I was looking for. He says, what? You are the salt of the earth. Just stop right there. If the world's going to change, it's not going to be just because of me. 
but also because of you. Salt is put there to change. Does your life spark change? Do people look at the way you live life and treat people and say, I want to know more about Jesus because of how I encountered that person? You are the salt of the earth. But then he asked a very pertinent question. If that salt, read it with me. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If you're not effective in ministry and effective at being the church, Jesus says, what are you good for? Oh, Jesus. It says what? It is then good for what? Nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are what? A light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I wonder how our behavior would shift if we realized that we are the church. There may be somebody in this building that doesn't know Jesus. It's up to us to show them. There might be somebody in here that's struggling. It's up to us to lead them. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? How do I do that? He says, this, he, they didn't put the other one up there. Let's go to verse 15. What does it say? Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and get, gives light to all who are in the house. So what does he tell us to do? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God is glorified when people look at us. Because when they look at us, they should see him. If we're authentic, we should be of undisputable origin. You should be able to look at Pastor Ernie and say, you know what, he's saved. <coughs> Mabel Evans is going to be with Jesus. There are other people in here like her that I hold in very high esteem. But you could talk to Sister Mabel for two minutes. And there was no disputing that she loved Jesus. There was no disputing that she was the church. Miss Mother Mabel didn't take no gossip. Kathy said something that she didn't like. As soon as Kathy started talking, she looked at her and said, Kathy, we don't put our minds, we don't put our mouth on other people. We put our minds on the things of God. Then she would do it in a second. She said, we are not talking about that. That's that, those things we are not spent waste our time thinking about. We got eternal things to think about. And, and, and you could talk to her for just a few seconds, and you, there was no questioning that this woman knew Jesus. I don't want to start calling out people in the church because people are getting jealous, but there's some people in here like that, and you know who you are. There is no doubt that they know Jesus. There are some people I don't have a hesitation when I see somebody at this altar to say, come pray for me. Because I know they can get a prayer through. Because I know that when I look at them, I don't see them, I see Jesus. I look at how they walk and how they talk and how they carry themselves. And I look 
second when prayer time comes, are they more interested in conversation? Are their heads bowed and are they intently in prayer? They're not worried about I didn't see you all week. They said I didn't come to see you. I came to see Jesus. I didn't come for a social gathering. If you're looking for a social gathering, there are clubs and bars all over Royal Oak. But when we come into this place, we come to see God. Fellowship is a great byproduct of it. How do I get to that? Last thing of the day. Pull up Galatians 2, verse 20. I read it on you. Need those words. I, I know them, but we're going to read them together on the screen. <coughs> what did it say? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying that when you look at me, you can't even see me anymore. All you can see is Jesus. I hear Paul saying, oh, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That's when you know you know somebody who's in the real church. Because they don't just want the good. They take the bad too. I don't just want the pick-me-up sermon. But I get excited about the one that make me feel uncomfortable. Because that lets me know that when I get this mess out of my life, I look more like him. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've already seen the Father. I am authentic. I come from the original. I am the original. I am part of the Godhead. And this is what you need to know. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And what does the Bible say? This is what you need to know. Look at the the flow of order. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in him. But the Bible said that we are now hidden with Christ in God. You can't see what's hidden. When you leave here today and somebody cuts you off, who are they going to see? I see somebody looking like you know who they're going to see. <laughs> when you go get something to eat after the service and you've seen the same people and the same waitresses and haven't bothered to ask them one time, do you know Jesus? Who are they going to see? When you get home with your spouse or your significant other, they ask you to do something that they know irritates you, but they do it anyway. Who are they going to see? When your kids hadn't cleaned their room and you told them for the thousandth time to clean their room and you had it up to here, who are they going to see? with me one more time. What do they see? When they look at you. He's coming back for a church without spots or wrinkles. And I pray when he comes back that when you look at Willis Berry's life, not because I've been perfect, but because my heart toward him is perfect. Because I want to get the mess out of my life. Why do we need to talk about this? Because tomorrow starts our 21 days of fasting. And everybody will not fast. I get that. But for those of you who are fasting, let's not fast to get things from God. Let's fast to make ourselves better so we can be used by 
so that when people, oh Jesus, I, I need to go ahead and tell you in case you didn't figure out. At one point in time, no matter where you are, you see this space right here? <clears throat> you're going to lay in front of it. Whether you're young or old. And somebody's going to say something about you, and it may be lies, it may be true. You won't know because you've been gone. But when it's said, can they say that you were of undisputed origin? That you were the authentic church? That's what I want. If you say anything about Willie Berry when they lay me across there, hopefully some of it's good. But one thing I want you to say, if you make it longer than me and I plan to outlive all of y'all, <laughs> but just in case that don't work out, I don't have any control over that. This is what you can say about me. He wasn't perfect, but he loved God. He had his issues, but he did love Jesus. He made his mistakes, but he cared about the lost. And he invested his time trying to, to make relationships and trying to find people that didn't know Christ, that were far from Christ, so they could say, come, let me show you a man who has changed my life, and he could change yours too. Come, not just that. We always stop at salvation, but if we be honest, come, let me show you a man that even after I was saved and I turned my back on him and I made my mistakes and I could have been thrown out, he didn't throw me out, but he picked me from the bottom of the ground and he nursed me back to health and he loved me and he loves you too and no matter where you are he can find you and love you right where you are what do they see when they look at me I want you to ask yourself that question all week what do they see when they look at me Somebody might say, I'm not saved. I'm not sure what they will see. Well, guess what? Today's your day. You can be saved right now. If you need Jesus today, this altar is open for you. If you just want a deeper commitment in your life, this altar is open for you.